When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Hey, Mary Kay. Doug Maurice and Mary Kay Cabot answering questions. And we had Mary Kay. We like to take texter uh, Browns insider questions normally on this when you're on here with Dan. But there was a very active uh, person who had a lot of questions for you. Let me see. I got to get his name. It's uh, Doug L. from Ohio. Had four <laughs> questions that really he just was excited to say, ooh, I get to ask Mary Kay Cabot stuff. So this is the Doug Maurice version of asking Mary Kay stuff. Mary Kay, I think you know it, but there are times again, like when I'm on the the uh, Sports for Clee show with Dave Bacon on cleveland.com. I hope the people listening to this catch that show sometimes. It's on cleveland.com every day at four o'clock. It's a fun little TV show. Dave Bacon is a great host. They do a great job of coming up with ideas. And every now and then, Mary Kay, not every now and then, usually once an episode when I'm on, they'll say, what do you think of this? And I always say, well, here's what I think. But all, the only all that I think is what Mary Kay Cabot says. So I don't <laughs> like I don't know it. How would I know? I don't know anything. I just <laughs> I just read her just like everybody else. So I do appreciate the fact that Mary Kay, many times, I think when people around Northeast Ohio have opinions on the Browns, it's actually just what you wrote, which is how it should work when you have a great beat writer. Well, that is a enormous responsibility. I'm going to have to uh, really take that to, to heart now. Jeez, no pressure, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> you just thought you were just, yeah, you were just breaking stories. Now it turns out you're propping up my entire career. So thanks for that, Mary Kay. Always appreciate it. All right. Sure. We're going to run through four questions here that I have for you. A little bit bigger picture because um, it's July and it's time to do this kind of thing. So I'm going to ask you about the Hall of Fame. I'm going to ask you about a, a great Browns player who could have been even better in a better environment in Cleveland. I have a Deshaun Watson question. That's a little thorny, but I want to talk about Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. And then I want to talk about, I want to, I have a miles Garrett legacy question. So those are the four that we're going to do, but I want to start off with this hall of fame question, Mary Kay, you are a hall of fame selector. Mm-hmm. Of course you are. If, if you know of any, you are the person in Cleveland who should be that person. Of course you are. How did you find out? We see all these things now where the guy from the Hall of Fame comes to the hall of, you know, the rooms and knocks on the door and like tells Hall of Famers when they get in. How did you find out that you were going to be a Hall of Fame selector? And what do you remember a, sort of about when you found out, hey, this is now a thing I'm going to add to my plate? And then I want to ask you a couple more side questions about that. But when did you become a selector and what do you remember about finding out about how about finding that out? Well, I was an alternate a couple of times within the past like six years or so. And Tony Grossi has been 
sort of the, the Cleveland guy for, for many years. Uh, but then what happened after I had been an alternate for a while is the pro football writers of America, they have, uh, they have a representative that, that is in the room as one of the 44 selectors. And because the president of the PFWA, uh, I think for a couple of years, was already in the room, they had an opening and they gave me the PFWA slot. Like, I don't know how many years ago it was, four or five years ago that I've been in the rooms. And it was basically just, I, I got a phone call from, from the Hall of Fame and they just, they asked me if I would be willing to do this uh, on a regular basis as filling in uh, as the PFWA rep in the room. And I was, of course, honored and overjoyed. And I take it like really seriously. It is amazing to be in that room and know that you're changing someone's life. And it, it's just an overwhelming experience. It, it really is very cool. Now, last year we had to do it all via Zoom, but it worked out fine like that. Uh, but it's, it's pretty incredible to be in the room. And I mean, I, I, I was in there for a couple of years for the Terrell Owens debate. I mean, that's fascinating. Uh, you know, I've been in there where a guy will just kind of stand up and say a guy's name and that's it. Nothing else is mentioned. I mean, you just know uh, that this guy is a, a first ballot Hall of Famer and has earned the status of not another word needs to be said. Uh, and then I did just recently get a phone call uh, from the Hall of Fame that they have a couple of at-large positions because now I was the PFWA rep for a number of years. And now Lindsey Jones, who is the president of the PFWA, will be taking over that spot. Uh, but I did receive a call about a week ago from the Hall of Fame that they are keeping me on uh, as an at-large member. They have a number of at-large members. And I am honored to do that. Uh, I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be part of making history every year. It, it's, it's fascinating to be in the room to be part of these enormous decisions. Uh, but one of the funny things about it is that the minute it's over, you walk out of the room and everybody's like trashing the picks that you made, you know, and, and saying, well, this guy should have been in or that guy shouldn't be in. And, you know, you walk out of there and, uh, you know, there are a lot of very, very strong opinions about what just happened in those whatever eight hours uh, that you're sitting there debating these guys. But it's, it's a fascinating process. And I think when some people come into the room that have never been in there before, I think you gain a greater understanding of how difficult it is to arrive at these five individuals that you're putting in the Hall of Fame. Uh, they need to have 80% of the votes. Um, and it's tough. I mean, we, Tony and I, Tony Gross and I really tried hard uh, to get Clay Matthews in. And I think we won some people over. Tony gave a great presentation. And then I followed up after him with another two or three minute presentation. And, um, and I think that I know that we swayed some people and I know that he was very, very close and we had, we, he, he got a lot of support and it's unfortunate he didn't get in because now he's, he'll be forced to get in as a senior. And hopefully that'll happen because he deserves to be in, but it's a really cool thing to do. And I'm, I'm just grateful to be a part of it. So I'm just curious. I know like, like the baseball hall of fame is just people, in the baseball writers association, checking a ballot, mailing it in. Um, one of the things that I liked about when the college football playoff began is that they went to this people in a room idea. And I think if you're going to do something like this, whatever it is, if you're picking something, you should have a wide variety of people from 
different geographic areas of the country who come at things from different perspectives. And then I do think it's better to talk than to just have everybody in their office at home check a box and send it in. Because I think you can be trapped in your own thinking. I think you could not consider something that somebody else did. And like you said, people can, with smart presentations and, hey, did you consider it this way? It's And it's not even like, it's not, I mean, it's just like new information. It's like, you know what? I didn't even, I didn't think of it that way. But now that you've presented me with that, I am thinking of it this way. And you're right. I think that is the best way to do it. I don't know, you know, as tough as journalists, right? That it was like, hey, you know, we're supposed to cover the news. We're not supposed to make it. I noticed there are some media outlets that don't allow their reporters to partake in, you know, in MVP voting or anything like this. Sometimes I think, well, who would be better? Because I think if you have the people in the game, whether it's former coaches or former players, I think there can some be natural relationships and, and just like, you know, I was a Raiders coach. And am I going to really vote for a Chiefs guy? Cause I hated that guy, whatever. And I just, I, I don't know that it would be better. I could imagine probably the ideal situation is some mix. If there were some former players, some writers, some broadcasters, some former coaches, some former GMs, that's probably the perfect mix. You also can't have 200 people in a room, but I think you need more than 10 people in a room. So I think the number, it's, it's 50, right? It's 50 mm-hmm. that you guys do. I think the number is a really good number. And so I'm just curious, and I know you can't give anything away, but like, you know, it's hard to find a perfect system. I think probably this system for the Pro Football Hall of Fame is pretty good compared to a lot of other systems for the way we pick things in sports. What do you think generally, Mary Kay, of the idea that that it is 50 writers who have this huge responsibility to do this? Well, they have added now, um, they are mixing it up a little bit. It's evolving. Yes, it is evolving. So they have added uh, some Hall of Fame members that are in the room now. Uh, so I, I think I think that's important. Um, I, I like the fact that they're doing that. And then, you know, now they're adding in some, you know, people, some general managers, some co- and I think it should be that way. I, re- I really do. I think that it should be a mix. And I like the fact that uh, that they have opened it up to coach. Uh, they, I think they should have some former coaches that like when, when I see Bill Belichick doing the, you know, like the top hundred and things like that. And I see him talking about players in a way that really only a coach can, uh, I really see the wisdom of having a couple of coaches in there. A lot of times when I have to, sometimes when I have to vote on guys, I will jump on the phone with Al Saunders, the former wide receivers coach of the Cleveland Browns, who is a former head coach in the NFL and has been around. And it was part of the greatest show on turf and has worked with, Marty Schottenheimer and some of the best players and coaches over so many years. And he played against so many of these guys and coached against so many of these guys and coached them. Um, So I I think some of those guys just bring so much to the table. And I think we need a few more of those guys, but here's one thing about uh, reporters in this process is like what I just told you about what I do with, you know, I'll call Al Saunders to talk about, Kurt Warner or Tory Holt or whoever. Um, re- the, most reporters in the room do that. I mean, we're reporters and we we dig around and we try to find out uh, why should this guy be in? Why shouldn't he be? In? I mean, people go to great lengths to get very detailed information. I mean, th- there are some things that happen 
you know, in the room, just in terms of surveys, you know, surveying general managers and coaches and players, and um, it, it can get very, very extensive. So I think that's one of the things that uh, the reporters bring to the table is the investigation of the whole situation. But I do think that players, coaches, and GMs should also be involved. I didn't even know that. I should have researched my question better. That's very interesting. Well, I, I, it's, it's a great answer. It's a great answer. And you're one of the few people in America, in America's favorite sport, who gets to experience that firsthand. So uh, that's the kind of stuff that I want on Hey Mary Kay. I want the I want to dig it in on the only Mary Kay Cabot can answer this kind of question because it's not just your expertise about this year's team. It's the the depth of knowledge you have over the years that often fascinates me. So here's a question along those lines: Is who who would be a Browns player that you thought had a chance to be like a really good player, could have been a fan favorite for a long time in Cleveland, who got kind of swept up in this you know two decades of bad football that whether he wasn't coached right or whether he was just kind of caught in the dysfunction or the Browns didn't realize what they had and they let him go and he became a good player somewhere else. But I'm, I'm almost like if that guy was around now and you could put him in a team where he was surrounded by good talent, it was a winning atmosphere, a coach you trust, a GM you trust, and you thought, oh man, if only that guy could have been on this version of the Browns, he would have shown everybody in Cleveland what he really could do. Who's, who's a guy who fits that description? You know what? I'll tell you what, the number one guy that fits that description for me is Tim couch. It's Tim couch. Tim couch just got beat up in his early career with the Cleveland Browns. I think he could have been a good quarterback in the NFL, not necessarily a great quarterback in the NFL, but he could have been a good quarterback that uh, given the right situation and surrounded by the right talent that he could have been successful. And I don't think that he is the bust that he has gone down into history to be. And I think there's somebody that agrees with me very much on this and that's Bruce Arians. And if he's good enough for Bruce Arians, he's good enough for me because Bruce knows quarterbacks. He knows what he's talking about. And as the years have gone by, Bruce stands up and goes to bat for Tim couch. But I really tried to do that while Tim was here. I really tried to uh, be very supportive of him because I could see that he was getting his tail kicked in every single week. Uh, and, and his career was ruined by getting hit so much. What they didn't do back then, which the Browns have done now for Baker Mayfield, is protect him. No matter what else they did, they needed to protect that investment. He was the number one overall pick in 1990. They needed to protect that guy with good offensive linemen. And they just let him get beat up and beat up and beat up week after week after week. And he was a way better quarterback than he ever had an opportunity to show. It's a great answer. That you know, not to make a direct well, I could say not to make a direct direct comparison, except I am making a direct comparison. You drop Tim Couch onto this team, that Tim Couch is in the Baker Mayfield role. Mm -hmm. You think uh, he would have had a similar opportunity to to have people say, "Hey, I think this is a quarterback that the Browns can win a Super Bowl with." Yeah, I mean, now I I think that Baker has a better skill set in in many ways than than Tim Couch did, but I do think. Uh, that that Tim could have been successful enough in this offense to to win a significant amount of games. Now, would he have taken them 
all the way to the Super Bowl. You know, you just have to get to another level when you get into the playoffs. And if you're going to go to the AFC Championship game, you've got to be almost almost an elite quarterback. You can get there if you're not, and you can win a Super Bowl if you're not. And we've seen that happen. Uh, but, you know, really on a consistent basis for sustained success, you really want to, to have an almost elite level quarterback if you can get it. But I think Tim could have been a really good serviceable, serviceable quarterback who could have taken you to the playoffs and won some playoff games. It's a great answer. All right. We'll take a quick break here on Hey Mary Kay. And we'll be back with two more questions right after this. Hey, if you're not a Browns insider, this would be a great time to check it out. You can go to cleveland.com slash Browns, go to the blue banner on the top of the page, you click on that. And then what can you get yourself into? You can get texts in your phone, info analysis about the Browns as it happens. You get an exclusive little newsletter story every day from one of our Browns experts that is not on cleveland.com that only goes to Browns insiders. And then you get access to every Brown story and every story at cleveland.com. Cause we have a lot of stories that are free. And then some stories are behind only for our Browns insiders. So it is comprehensive. And here's the thing, Mary Kay, that, that I've gotten to this point in my life and I apply it to my kids a lot. I apply it like to my parents. Um, you can have a lot of clutter in your life. And so sometimes when you're trying to like look for a present for somebody or you're just trying to do something nice for someone, it's like you're buying them something else for them to put in their house. And it's like, ah, oh, they're going to lose it. They don't have anywhere to put it. I love giving gifts that aren't a physical thing. So like if you have a Browns fan in your life and the idea of like, oh, you could get them. They probably have a bunch of Brown shirts, right? They probably have a bunch of Browns memorabilia, but it's like, hey, what if I paid for you to get like inside Browns access, access about the team you love every day? All the stuff I just said, you get the text. You get, like, I just think it's a great gift, Mary Kay. And I, or a gift for yourself. Not that you shouldn't buy Browns gear, but you probably have a lot of it. And like, this is Browns gear in its own way. It's inside access about a team that might go to the Super Bowl. So just think about it. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about the Browns. So if you're listening and you're not an insider, you're like you're part of the way there that you listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Just think about the next step, especially as we get closer to the season. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click on the blue banner and just think about everything about the Browns that we can give you if you become an insider. All right, Mary Kay. This is a little bit thorny, but I think it's okay to talk about this from a football standpoint because people care about football. Deshaun Watson is a guy that when the Browns did not take him in the uh, 2017 draft, they could have taken him at number 12. They did not. They traded to pick to Houston. They get a first round pick back. They wind up using that pick on Denzel Ward the next year. But this has been lingering out there, Mary Kay, of the idea of if the Browns had taken Miles Garrett at one and Deshaun Watson at 12, it would have been one of the great drafts in NFL history, right? Because Deshaun Watson, every step of his career so far, has been a franchise quarterback, even for a franchise that has been in disarray in a lot of ways. Everybody listening to this knows that Deshaun Watson is facing some serious off-field issues and accusations from women who say that, that he uh, had some unwanted sexual advances toward them while they were giving him massages. Everybody is aware of that. And obviously that is the most important issue that this thing gets worked out in the legal system. That is real life stuff. But we can be honest, the reason we care about Deshaun Watson is because he's a football player. I have considered, I Mary Kay, the idea 
of that if the Browns had done the thing that was right in front of them, which is just take him. You just take him at 12, and he's your quarterback. And then everything else, a lot of this I do think would have possibly gone – emerged in similar ways, right? That maybe they would have, but you know, you don't get Denzel cause you use the pick. You don't have Baker, but you have other good players, right? You, it would have been a miles and Deshaun Watson team, but you might've still had Nick Chubb. Like a lot of things would have been similar from a Browns fans and franchise standpoint. I have considered the possibility that if they had done that, all this would have happened. The Browns would have been set up to be like, it's finally happening. And then this would be happening, not with the Houston Texans quarterback, but with a Cleveland Browns quarterback. And it would be flipping this franchise on its head. Again, the caveat, of course, the legal issue itself, no matter where he plays, is the first priority. But from a football standpoint, Mary Kay, as it turns out, you never would have imagined this, but the Browns avoided a very complicated situation by not making the pick that, frankly, they probably should have made. Right. That probably was the smart thing to do. But I've pondered it, Mary Kay, and it makes me sick to my stomach on behalf of Browns fans. If that's what this the end point of this rebuild would have been. And now they're here. And now we don't know what the future of this quarterback is. Yeah, it's a really interesting question to ponder, because you're right. From a from a football standpoint, they should have taken Deshaun Watson. And the reason why they didn't uh, back then that year is. They just could not reach a consensus on a quarterback. That was a time when you just had the extreme disconnect between coaching staff and front office. That was the worst of the worst when uh, when Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown were at, at horrible odds. And they, they just did not have their act together on the whole quarterback thing. They could not agree on the quarterback. I think they ended up with Mitch Trubisky as their, their number one ranked quarterback on their board at that time. They had Deshaun Watson ranked too low. There were a lot of concerns about Patrick Mahomes and I've written about this kind of thing, Uh, but they had, you know, there were concerns about Patrick Mahomes. You know, a lot of people had those same concerns. Was he sort of just an air raid guy? Was he assistant quarterback, but they, they whiffed on the evaluation of Deshaun Watson. And that was because they just were not aligned as a front office. When you're not aligned, these are the kinds of things that happen. But as you're pointing out, it sort of turned out to be a happy accident because where would they be right now? Now, you can argue also that if you have the right people in place in an organization, that perhaps Deshaun Watson doesn't go down the road he went down in Houston if he did things that he wasn't supposed to be doing off the field in these situations. And we don't know. It hasn't, that hasn't played out legally yet. So we're not sure. But I guess what I'm trying to say is if the Browns had gotten their act together and were a functional organization like they are now, perhaps you keep an eye on a player or your players to the point where things like that don't take place as much as they would in an organization that is completely dysfunctional. And the Texans were dysfunctional throughout that whole time. They were very dysfunctional. Um, And the Browns were dysfunctional at that time too. Uh, But they still had, you know, good people in the front office that I think they, they have a good support network for their players. 
So there might have been an opportunity to have him not go down the wrong road if he did go down, in fact, go down the wrong road. So we don't know if Deshaun Watson would have done those same kinds of things here. We're not really sure. I mean, we know that uh, the, the Browns have had to, because of some troubled players that they've had here in the past, they have to keep an eye on guys like Kareem Hunt, right? I mean, they, they just have to. And they do a really good job with that. They do a really good job with that now. Um, would they have been able to catch that in time? I don't know. But there is a slight chance that they maybe they would have. Maybe that stuff would not have happened, have happened here. Maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't have, but you're right. It could, they may have saved themselves a lot of grief and agony by accidentally passing on Deshaun Watson. And it's just interesting. Again, these are all allegations. This has not been through the legal system yet, but what is happening is it is affecting his football situation at the moment. And it is affecting the Houston Texans football situation at the moment. So from that football standpoint, the Browns could not, and, and you make a good point because, you know, you go in a different, who knows, right. but if it had gone this way, just the idea that it, the uncertainty and, the, right. and, t- and with the Texans right now, of course it's important, but they're going to stink anyway. So there's a little less, if the Browns were on the precipice of a Super Bowl run and they didn't know if their franchise quarterback was going to be on the field this year or not. Again, it just makes me sick to my stomach from a football standpoint for the Browns. And the thing about that draft, that was the one that hung out there, Mary Kay. Because, yeah, maybe and maybe they did like Mahomes, but the bottom line is the Chiefs jumped them. So they didn't pass on Patrick Mahomes other than taking Miles Garrett. But nobody's arguing that they should have taken Patrick Mahomes instead of Miles Garrett. Deshaun's the one that was staring him in the face that it didn't take. So that's the one. And it does, to me, it, it, it relieves a little bit of that, hey, you know, what could have been? Because it turns out, man, I don't know if we would have wanted to be that. Not that they... You know, just because the way life unfolds. So I've just been thinking about that a lot, and I wanted to get your perspective on that. Of course, you had a great perspective. All right, last one. This is another thing I think about a lot because I I don't have any friends, and I just sit in the dark, and I ponder things. (laughs) I do this a lot with Ohio State. I often think to myself, man, when you covered Woody Hayes at Ohio State, were you just sitting around going like, man, this is Woody Hayes. Like, this is a guy that people are going to be talking about for 100 years, and this is happening right now. I'm always fascinated with sports of trying to realize like you're in the midst of history while it's happening. And if you do that too much, you drive yourself nuts. But Miles Garrett, when you think about great players in Brown's history, we know Otto Graham, we know Jim Brown, we know the great legacy from back then. We know Bernie Kosar, right? We are in the midst of, we don't know if this Browns team is going to win a Super Bowl. They certainly have a chance to do it. They have multiple shots at it over the next several years. Miles Garrett, I don't think we've seen the best of Miles Garrett yet. But we think about now, for instance, Joe Thomas. You knew Joe Thomas was great when it was happening. And soon enough, Mary Kay, you're going to be in that Hall of Fame room putting Joe Thomas in the Hall of Fame. I mean, whether or not they win a Super Bowl, it's not really a Super Bowl question. But just I was pondering just Miles Garrett, what he is, what he could be still. How big of an icon in Cleveland sports history do you think it's possible that Miles Garrett could be? And I could ask the same question about Baker Mayfield, but that's, you know, quarterbacks kind of come to that naturally. Miles, to me, as a defensive end and just the type of person and player he is, is this a guy just, you know, 25 years from now when his career is over, how big could this guy be in the history of the Cleveland Browns? 
Well, I think he could, he has the potential and the ability to go down as the best defender or one of the best defenders in the history of the Cleveland Browns. Certainly uh, I would think in, in the top three, um, but he needs to hit that next level. He needs to, ju- he needs to take it up a notch and he was on his way last year. And I had said this and I, and I had written this, uh, you have to make those impact plays. You have to, you know, when you walk away from the Rams season, you remember, you remember the games that Aaron Donald won for you or took over or changed for you. And I always thought that miles just wasn't hitting that level until last year, last year is when we started to see him uh, take over games and win them in the way that, that you need to see your number one pick too, because do, because I, you know, pre-draft, it was generational talent, generational talent. Well, you need to feel that you need to see that you need to be hit between the eyes with a generational talent. Now he's got a generational skill set, but then it has to show up in the football game and you have to see uh, that it's, it's the reason that you're winning games and that you can't take your eyes off of him for the thing he's going to do next. And he started to become that player last year. And that is what I expected him to be when they drafted him number one overall. Um, and so he, he was on his way to that when, when COVID kicked in. So, and then, you know, he, he really tailed off. He really dropped off after that and he did the best he could. And then, then as I, you know, I talked to his mom this off season, come to find out that he had asthma and that complicated everything for him. And he just really struggled. So what we need to see from miles over the next three or four years for him to be a generational player. And this type of player that we're talking about is we need to see that level that we saw in the first five or six games of the season. We need to see that consistently over the course of a couple of seasons for him to reach that, like that hall of fame level of greatness, because we haven't seen it yet for one full season. Now he did have a season where he had 13 and a half sacks and he he was good. He was really, really good, but he wasn't great that season. Last year, he was great in some games and, and that that's what he has the potential to be every game. He has the potential, you know, Aaron Donald is great most games. And that's what we need to see from, from miles. We need him to, to be dominant and make those impact plays. And I'm talking about forcing turnovers. And I, I wrote that heading into last season, just in the same way that I'm saying it about Denzel. And I once said it about Jameer Miller back in the day. And Jameer thanked me for that because I, I just said, you know, Jameer's good, but he just doesn't make those enough impact plays. He doesn't take the ball away enough. He doesn't force fumbles and recover them. And he went out and like, he took that to heart and he did that the following season and made the pro bowl. And he thanked me for that because he said, like, you lit that fire under me to do that. And I'm not taking credit for doing that with miles, but miles did need to be an impact game changing playmaker. And he became that last year. And now we need to see it over the course of the next three seasons for him to be the generational player that he needs to be. I'll drop one little stat on us before we leave here. I was just looking up Bruce Smith's career with the Buffalo Bills. Bruce Smith, his first four years in the league, he had 44 and a half sacks in his first four years. In his first four years, Miles Garrett has 42 and a half sacks. Mm -hmm. 
in his fifth year, Bruce Smith had 13 sacks. And then in year six for Bruce Smith, and again, Miles is going into year five. In year six for Bruce, Bruce Smith, he had 19 sacks, and that's the year the Bills made their first Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. First of what would be four Super Bowls. Yep. And so he was a very good player. He was a very good player. And then yes. he became Bruce Smith. Yep. And he's, he didn't become Bruce Smith in year two. He was good, but he didn't become Bruce Smith in year two. Right. And so that's the kind of thing, Mary Kay, I think that is what we're talking about. Of course, yes. Miles is good, yes. but show me the year in the next year or two yes. where Miles Garrett has 19 sacks and leads the Browns to the Super, Browns to the Super Bowl. And yes. now we are talking generational Hall of Fame type player. And if that happens, what is Bruce Smith and Buffalo? My gosh. I mean, the guy is an icon. That's yes. what is out there for Miles. And, and it's a reminder. The reason I want to ask a question like this is, of course, I think people realize it. it's only four years in the league. On the one hand, it's only four years. On the other hand, it's four years. Right. You know, is that a rookie? Absolutely. I think there is a normal progression of like, figure it out, battle some health stuff, be good, and then boom. And I do think players have that. And this year, five, six, seven, eight, this is the chance for the Miles Garrett boom, where we're talking 19 sacks. But it's not automatic. Also, Mary Kay, to your point, like he has to also do it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the boom would have happened much sooner uh, if he hadn't had the health issues that he had uh, and he hadn't been suspended for the final six games uh, for the Mason Rudolph helmet incident. His last two seasons have been completely marred uh, by those two incidents, Mason Rudolph and then COVID. Uh, so I think the, the boom potentially could have happened sooner. But let me just say this. The Mason Rudolph incident changed Miles Garrett in unbelievable ways. He become a bet. He became a better person. He became a better teammate. He became a better football player. And I actually think that when the history, the story of his life is written, that that will be the turning point for him that catapults him to become the Bruce Smith, to become the great player that he can be. Because I didn't see uh, that evidence of generational greatness until after that. And I think that's when he realized this is fleeting. I mean, I did an interview with him where he admitted to me, I thought about quitting football. So he came back with a renewed vigor, a renewed energy, a renewed appreciation for the game, a desire to connect with his teammates in a, in a way that he had never had before, and a tremendous responsibility to take the Browns to a championship. And in, in it just, it, it lit a fire under him and I think that will have been the catalyst for the greatness that we will see. I like this. I'm going to start calling you up, Mary Kay. We don't even have to record it for a podcast. I'm just going to call you up. You're going to answer your phone. I'm going to say, hey, Mary Kay. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you stuff because I'm not caring to talk about it. All right. Thanks for doing that. I hope you guys enjoyed that. A little more big picture stuff from Mary Kay Cabot. Make sure you're listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast five days a week. Love to have you guys along for the ride. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns. Mary Kay, a pleasure as always. I'll see you soon. Sounds good. That was fun. And thanks to you guys for listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast.